sponsors, let's get booze. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to episode 155 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, your twice-weekly medication, uh, just in case you were feeling a bit too upbeat, just in case you needed bringing back down to earth. Um, you might be familiar, dear listeners, with people who have low serotonin, uh, no endorphins. They might need Prozac or, or whatever to help them through that gloomy Monday. Well, you should consider this show the polar opposite. When you are feeling a bit too positive and optimistic, you need to throw this on. Just give me 45 minutes. I will temper that spike in happiness uh, by reminding you of all manner of awful things. Um I keep saying this, but you know what? I'm going to say it again, partly because I like saying it, um, but mostly because there is a limit to my creativity. Uh, think of me as your veritable Willy Wonka with my top hat and cane. And I'm just, you know, dancing through this world of woe, pointing out every bad thing like it's a theme park attraction, uh, like it's entertainment for you. That is that is me. Um, you know, it's like over here, there's melting ice caps over there. There's soaring inflation. There's a little bit of Brexit chaos. And I'm just prancing around the awfulness, just hosting it for you. Um, this is why I refer to myself in case, you know, you wondered in case this is the first time listening uh, to this podcast um, as a Binfluencer. That's what I refer to myself as. If you found me on TikTok or Twitter, if this is your first time listening, uh, influencers are on social media and they post inspiring sunset memes and uplifting Instagrams about hashtag motivational Monday and all of that. Here we are, influencers. We are not here to inspire you or waterboard you with wellness tips. Um, I am here to expose you to the lunacy and futility of the world. And hopefully we'll get a few laughs out of it on the way. And maybe even an insightful comment or two. I don't know. Let's see how we go today. Uh, joining me tonight for this Friday night uh, feast of festive fun um, is a returning favourite. Second time on the show. Delighted to have her back. Uh, you will have no doubt seen her on uh, Byline TV, on Channel 5's The Jeremy Vine Show. Uh, but she's also one half of the hit political podcast, The Trawl, which is now top five on Apple Podcasts, um, on which she and her co-host Gemma Forte go through the week's news and the Twitter dumpster fire it often spawns. Uh, please welcome to the show my friend Marina Bloody Perkis. Thanks, Aid. Eh? That was lovely. Although, does that make me a influencer as well? I guess so. Yeah, by proxy, uh, an honorary oh. influencer. You know, like a sort of visiting mm. academic of influenceredom or something. <laughs> Uh, how are you doing? How's it going, man? I'm absolutely fine. I just returned from Tesco where the shelves are, well, the vegetable shelves are a little bit bare. Yes. Yeah, there's a big thing about this at the moment, isn't there? I've got to be honest, I was surprised so many Brits cared this much about fruit and veg. Tomatoes in particular. Specifically tomatoes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think I said this in our chat group earlier, like we're only a matter of hours away before tomatoes become the new like avocado, you know, the sort of <laughs> snowflake woke mascot vegetable. Is it even a vegetable or is it a fruit? I don't, I never know. Uh, it's a fruit because it's got seeds in it. Oh, right. There we That's go. That's the litmus test for fruit. Yeah. Here I was sort of waxing lyrical about this being a sort of, you know, dystopian piss take <laughs> podcast. It's actually turned out to be quite educational, certainly for me. <laughs> 
Um, Did you know when Therese Coffee is already saying that we should be eating turnips instead? I had seen a few references. So this is the thing, like, do you ever go like, jump on Twitter and somebody, <laughs> like, there's like, you know, out of 20 tweets that you scan down, there's about three or four that reference the thing that mm-hmm. day. And it's like, what the fuck is it with turnips today? <laughs> Turnips is trending. Yeah, what re- what comedy references? What am I missing here? Um, Do you know what? I actually haven't. I need to caveat this for your listeners. I haven't checked that. So I don't know for sure if Therese Coffee has said that we should be eating turnips. I think she could say it in all probability. So um, yeah, I haven't checked it. So please go and, and do your own due diligence on that one. I like that. I like that you're encouraged pe- encouraging people to fact check me. Um, <laughs> I can tell you now, the listeners of this show... I'm not sure they care if everything that comes out of my mouth is 100% accurate. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but like the turnip thing, even if it's inaccurate, even if she didn't say that, I almost feel like it's fine. Because if I had Therese Coffee here, I would almost be like, but what do you think it says about you that everyone believed that you said that shit? <laughs> like it's just as damning. <laughs> I know. Nothing's surprising anymore. No, no, it's not um let's let's get into this i'm really keen to to pick your brain it's a big week uh for mm-hmm. brexit for two reasons number one your brexit special podcast exploded oh it did yeah so that's cool um, wild that that yeah. hit like a silly amount of downloads yeah people actually give a toss <laughs> i know it's quite reassuring isn't it because it's like you know i i mean i i perpetuate this idea uh, relentlessly but people kind of buy into this idea that we're surrounded by idiots and that nobody gives a shit and you know every the whole country's gone crazy but i think the success of your podcast in that respect mm. and the feedback that i've seen of it suggest like it's it's reassuring right like sort of yeah. convinces you people do care no i also think there's a bit of a gap that in the market that we're filling i think you're filling it as well with this podcast where there's there's lots of intelligent chat out there and you've got you know you've got the news agents and you've got the rest is politics and that's brilliant but there's not this sort of commentary on the shit show. This real honest, the way you chat about it with your mates down the pub. What the fuck is happening? They are all bastards, basically. Yeah. And they, I think that, and we and we do it, by the way. It's with, we are, you know, I'm in the detail. I'm very much a detailed person. Uh, Gemma's witty as hell. And I think we're like a, what's a, what's a good combo? Like a cannon and ball? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're like sort of end of the peer comedy, sort of tag teaming each other, yeah. but yeah, in a sort of political context. I like that. Yeah, and I think people like that. It's 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 dark at the moment, right? It's yeah. grim. The news is grim. Politics is grim, and it's it's just that with a bit of levity, which I think people need. Yeah, and that's there's something so like quintessentially British about that, isn't there? Which I suppose is apt considering we're talking about Brexit, but. Mm. Um, there's something really, you know, that blitz spirit, that gallows humour thing that I'm always on about on other episodes. But like when when you all feel like you're in the shit together and the country's going down the toilet, there's just something comedic devicey that sparks mm-hmm. that, I don't know, sort of generates a bit it's, of magic to it. It's, it's an if you don't laugh, you will cry situation. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um so okay, let's let's talk a little bit about Brexit. Um, I hope yeah. I hope my listeners are not uh, fed up with with this as a topic. I know it's been uh, pulled to pieces a lot over the last few years, but um, it is a big week uh, for our history of departure with the European Union. Uh, there were rumours that 
Sunak had already cut his deal with the EU about a fortnight ago. Um, and it was some sort of like stealth operation, so to speak, which I thought was interesting because you could kind of view that in two or three ways. Um, like, number one, it could be seen like he's so efficient. He just sort of smashed out this deal to solve the protocol offhand like it ain't no thing. Right. And then number two, you could also look at it like this is Sunak showing leadership, you know, like it very much is a big deal. And Sunak wants to be seen as a geopolitical player like a Blair or, you know, like a problem solver on the island of Ireland. And, and then the third one, which is the one that I actually subscribe to, is that he's just so shit scared of his own party that he has to effectively run away and have these private conversations to get the shit nailed down before the ERG and more importantly, before Boris Johnson hear about it and then start causing him problems. And and it feels mm. like those fears aren't without foundation, right? Because it seems like, you know, Johnson was rumoured, I think two or three days ago, rumoured to be rallying the support of about 100 Tories to try and scupper whatever this deal was. Yeah. Like, it's still not even clear what the deal is. And he's like, no, no, I know. Like, oh, he's already coming out saying it's uh, it'd be a great mistake. He is, of course, referring to something in particular, but it's all speculation. Like you say, this, this deal, no one knows what the hell's in it just yet and actually by, by the way you're you're what you were saying you think the options are for Rishi Sunak there I think it's a combination okay. but no matter what's in the detail he has to get it through parliament so it doesn't matter if the rebellion starts now or then there's going to be a rebellion because anything any concession is going to be seen as a betrayal of Brexit but the the bit that that Boris Johnson is the wave I think Boris Johnson is going to ride is the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill concession. So obviously this is that piece of legislation that the UK government put together itself, which basically allows us to unilaterally withdraw from the withdrawal agreement. So again, I just, what the hell? As if you can't do that with your mortgage, can you? I can't. Can you just unilaterally? I can't do it with my phone contract. So how on earth can you do it with an international treaty that you bloody signed and you offered up as a win, you cretinous bastards That's... and then also the thing i don't like is that that our own government have said that this breaks international law this piece of legislation in a, in a limited and specific way albeit the eu have said it is illegal and unrealistic and they've talked about you know legal action if they pursue it so actually rishi Sunak, if he ditches this bit of it and it only relates to the protocol right if he if he ditches this bit of it that actually is diplomacy that could see progress past this impasse, past this bloody purgatory that we're in. And yet they're saying, nah. And and you know, like you say, it's going to be the purists, the ideologues, the, the ERG, they are all going to ride that wave. And do you know what it is? It's going to be a wave back into number 10. Yeah. For Johnson. I think that's the depressing thing, isn't it? It's like there's no sense that they're behaving this way or rejecting whatever this deal is because they have the interests of the country close to their heart mm. or they right. want to do what's best for the people or get the best trade deal even it's just what can we do to win or certainly yeah. on johnson like is there anything that boris johnson wouldn't set fire to if it meant that it got him back into number 10 it couldn't give a shit the funny the funniest thing as well when you think about it like this is he's done this before and it got him into number 10 he did it with theresa may mm. Um, and the funny thing is then 
he was at least, you know, he led the rebellion against her checkers deal. <laughs> now he's leading a rebellion gets sort of his own deal really yeah. it's it's pathetic and the thing i think like people i, I have to stress this so people really look, know how insane this is because the whole country got dragged through the brexit shit because of the aspirate career aspirations of people like boris johnson at, right because back when Theresa may was trying to get her checkers deal through i think it's an important detail i know it's in the past but it's so pertinent to now she the first time it went through parliament she was trying to get it through do you know who signed, who actually voted for it, supported it? Mm. You wouldn't believe it. Boris Johnson. Yeah. And Dominic Raab and Jacob Rees-Mogg. But only when they saw that it wasn't going to go through Parliament did they have their aha moment. And were like, do you know what? This is our route into number 10. And it worked for them. After that, do you remember he went out talking about how her checkered steel was a suicide vest? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 then so they come from supporting it, literally voting for it to yeah. suicide vest, giving the EU the detonator, and you know what? It worked for them because the three of them ended up as PM, Foreign Secretary, and Leader of the House, and yeah. this is, they're doing it again. Doing well, it again. it's even more ridiculous than that, isn't it? It's, it's sort of um, so when Boris Johnson was Foreign Secretary, uh, yeah, he he supported the deal that Theresa May was working on. Then he reneged on it and said he didn't support it. And then when he did become Prime Minister, it was basically her deal. Like in substance, mm -hmm. he just repackaged it and then put it out on like nice little twittery slick adverts saying Boris's oven ready deal. Do you remember that? Yeah. And yeah. then of they all... he swapped the backstop for the protocol. Yeah. And he did what what she said she wouldn't do, which is put a border down mm. the Irish Sea, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then and now we are what like a couple of years ahead and they have the goal the fucking temerity to stand there even, even though they stood up people like ian duncan smith in the house of commons going like i, I basically know. i don't need to look at any more of this deal i support it i think it's great let's get it over the line and now he's one of the main cheerleaders a couple of years on going like well no this is a i know i have i know there's a wonderful clip you need to dig it out you should put this in before you send it, I don't know if you do that, but there is a clip, and he's like standing the house. If there is anything that it isn't in here, we've thrashed it out. We've spent like, and he says like an amount of hours. I think it's like something like three hundred hours, which actually is bloody nothing yeah, in the yeah. grand scheme of things. And given the impact that this legislation would have on people, on lives, on livelihoods, yeah. and if there's anything we've thrashed it around, clearly you don't know what the hell you were talking about, you dullard. Yeah. It should be nowhere. This so. This is what I've. Hey, this is the thing that pains me. I used to really look up to people that worked in politics and be like, God, they must be so clever. They must be so clever. These people are so thick. I wouldn't put them in charge of a budgeons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect to budgeons. Like if budgeons <laughs> were thinking about sponsoring the show, maybe. I mean, like I'm, I'm not saying anything. That was all Marina. Um, I used to work in budgeons no when I was budgeons. 16. Uh, I'm, I'm going to hold budgeons close to my heart. Um yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's so with with Ian Duncan Smith, he is uh, specifically ripe to be called out because he stood up there in the House of Commons. But then also because when it when the time was right for them to start reneging on the deal, he was the first one in line to say. And I think I think I'm I don't think I'm paraphrasing. I think this is almost word for word what he said. It was like, but there buried in the fine print or buried in the detail. I was like, motherfucker, like you had your chance to scrutinize the deal don't come back and say like oh buried in the fine print of the contract i fucking signed that's your contract problem is the fine print that is the whole contract is a, the fine print yeah like 
it wasn't buried in there. Again, you've got the best of the best to to unearth this stuff, to point this out to you. And if you haven't read it, you know, you know, so many people didn't read it. Read it. Do you remember there was that? Um, was it Victoria Prentice? I think she was the fishing minister, and she she didn't read it. She admitted because she was doing a nature trail with oh. a nearby school. Yeah. And she's the fish. The fishing min fishing. Like you'd think it'd be high on her priority list. Yeah. To read that documentation. None of them nah. read them though, do they? Like this is the problem with politics in the UK. Is it's just completely at the behest of like donor and whip culture or certainly that's my perspective of it is like you would like to believe as it sounds you did in uh years gone by that people get into it for the right reasons to make improvements in the local community and to represent the people who voted them in and then get up to westminster and say look my constituency would feel much more comfortable if we had this funding to do x y and z and um, maybe there's an element of that maybe there's a few good apples buried in there deep but it seems to me like once you get into the Westminster machine, uh, you could have the best intentions of the, in the world, but somebody's going to give you a tap on the shoulder and say, what do you mean you're not going to vote for this? You have to vote mm -hmm. for this. Like, I'm the whip. If you don't vote for this, you're looking at deselection, defunding for your campaign. You won't get, you know, you, you scratch our back. We'll scratch yours. We could get you a new leisure center. That'd help you, wouldn't like. And then you're just completely, um, what's the word, enthralled yeah. to to the machine like you're yeah. you're the slave it is the master you can't operate with free will or vote with your conscience on things and so then when a brexit bill or a clean waters bill or, or whatever the case may be gets presented to you and your staff you actually don't have to read it because you already know <laughs> which no, way no, you have to goodness. vote exactly yeah. exactly and also they're too busy i've got second jobs aid when are they gonna read all this yeah yeah, I mean, and also, if they, if you've got it, I do think as well. I know it's a really cynical thought, but I think everyone's got a price, and I think a lot of people they they get into it possibly for the right reasons, mm. but there might be too much temptation there because you know if they was it what's the term graze your hand with silver, put your palm with silver, you know the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, I think they get they get a feeling for it, and then they and they see like you know people getting shitloads of money from I don't know Deloitte or who was that the uh, the laboratories place was it uh, with Pattinson? Oh I yeah, can't remember the one. I can't remember the oh, name either. Anyway, but I I think they start to see actually. Do you know what this is? This is very lucrative if I play the game right. And now I've learned that the people that that I think are the the worst uh, the ones that are in it in the cabinet for example the ones that are the really strong voices you hear are the ones that are in it to raid the public purse and change policy to basically benefit them and their ilk because mm. if you look at the, some of the backbench tories probably are harmless but the real hungry ones the really hungry ones i think those are the ones that just do it for the money and there's there's so much money sloshing around those those like even um who's the new is it education secretary like they've all like her husband like won a massive contract uh, at one of the government contracts during the pandemic and we're talking like tens of millions of pounds like look at Nadim Zahawi look at and, and by the way I don't think there's a problem if you're mega mega rich I don't think that should preclude you from going into politics I sort of question your reasons why mm. You know, it's eighty eighty seven thousand pounds or whatever it is, um, but I but I do when their actions serve to only benefit the few, and then they've got all of these little backhanders happening as well. That just to me says you're just in it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, and I think like you couldn't ask for a better example of 
like the bad reasons the bad drivers for for bringing people into politics than rishi sunak himself like here is a guy who's worth like him and his wife are worth they're billionaires right she's a she's the daughter of a billionaire and he's, i'd imagine she's a billionaire yeah he's like ex goldman's right and so he's got a few bob also mm. i guess the point i'm getting at is neither one of them are struggling both of mm. them could make significantly more money outside of number 10 so what does that tell you what conclusion could you draw from that it's like it's not just about the salary because no. a, a pm gets paid you know what 150 160 um, then you get private residence. That's not bad in central London, right? You don't have to worry about rent. But mm. uh, but it's nothing compared to what he could earn in banking. So it's a bit like, I don't believe that you would go into pro to become prime minister for the salary. And I, there's no evidence so far that you're doing it to better people's lives, to, to imp increase uh, social mobility, to give people a shot, to solve the housing crisis, to fix the NHS. No evidence for that whatsoever. So the only answer that is left in the absence of all of those is that this is about connections mm -hmm. and about post-parliamentary opportunities. Boris Johnson being a fantastic example of that. Exactly. Like... That. Exactly. So you think about, I think, Boris Johnson, the, the more he's in high office, the more his stock is up the more he's going to be in demand to do these types of speeches where he's getting advances of like a million pounds plus. Did I read four million or was it two million? Two I million don't. possibly. Because he's just gone and bought that massive house in Oxfordshire, yeah. which is, uh, again, this is, there's obviously speculation that that is to do with him changing constituency from Uxbridge, where I believe there's a majority of 7,000. Mm -hmm. And in this, if he were to change his constituency to this new one, which is... um. I don't know, it's Oxfordshire somewhere. The majority is circa 20, 22,000, I think, something like that. Yeah. I mean, that to me sounds like they're sort of parachuting him in. I do think, like, yeah. buying that mansion is interesting, though. And I get that he's earned a fair wedge in the last few months. But I'm also like, has he has he really earned, like, four million? Really? No. And who's paying no. four million to speak? <laughs> like, he's... I, I don't want to, you know, be mean about people who have trouble speaking but he's not a i wouldn't say he's a particularly great speaker no it's not about his speaking it's about who he is surely because his speaking he's not this great orator that people talk about but do you know what someone said to me and it really made me think i don't know if this is made in full hat and all that but are they really paying him for a speech or is there something else going on is the is the speech payment like a type of money laundering sort of yeah do you know what this mm. is i'm quite ashamed to say that i've never really considered that but yeah if you were a hedge fund manager if you owned a medical you know a pharmaceutical company and you wanted to donate a lot of money to the tories and gain influence you can't do that within the parliamentary rule well you can like up to a certain level but you can't <laughs> you can't pay fucking you know oh here's a million quid just off the bat like mm -hmm. um so yeah, it would make sense, wouldn't it? To sort it of makes go a lot around. of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Interesting. Mm. So okay, so let's let's get a little bit back to to Brexit. So I guess the the area that I was interested in in touching on with this is like what happens next because we have Johnson flying over to Ukraine. We've got Johnson attending the World Economic Forum. We've got Johnson doing a little whistle stop tour of the US. Um, 
We've got Johnson recommending EU membership to Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, Johnson saying this is what I would do if I was leader. I would give them fighter jets. I would do like and yeah, it, you get this idea that he either thinks he's still prime minister or he really, really wants to be prime minister. Um, oh, he's trying to undermine yeah. massively undermine the prime minister. Yeah, like a graceful ex prime minister would be like, look, I'm not going to tell you what. I would do because it's not mm. my time. The prime minister now is Rishi Sunak. I suggest you go and talk. Like, that would be a nice thing to do, wouldn't it? It would. Also, the thing I think is it's always missed, and I understand why, because who the fuck's talking about it, right? But when Johnson was uh, foreign secretary, no, home secretary, no, foreign secretary, sorry, uh, Ukraine were demanding weapons. Europe, yeah. Ukraine were demanding support, and we didn't give it to them for fear of provoking putin and don't forget like he blamed he blamed putin's invasion uh of um crimea on the bloody eu yeah like, so this idea that he's this war hero that we should be going to him well no actually no stop it it is yeah it's it's strange isn't it like so i guess it's easy for him outside of number 10 to be campaigning and pretending to be this very pro-ukraine guy and it, you know i don't i don't want to bash him uh unnecessarily i think he probably acted as well as we could expect him to in the immediate aftermath of the invasion of ukraine um and showing support for ukraine but i do think it's interesting there's a real puzzle like a question mark over his conduct as foreign secretary his close proximity to lebedev the fact he sat on the mm. russia report for so long the fact he shook off his security detail to go and party with lebedev immediately after a nato meeting like there's a lot of shit to boris johnson i know i sort of want to say to Zelensky, do you know about that <laughs> do you yeah. know about that mate are you all right with that i feel like that's a big question i've got for him yeah but you would hope you would hope that somebody like Zelensky in Zelensky's position would be like, all right, I've got to be sensible here. Let's not trust this guy too much. You know, people say that. He... But he seems to be like, oh, yeah, this this guy's my best friend, you know, because I guess he's being all strategic there. He knows he's got a use. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I have to assume that Zelensky is well briefed. And that people have said, look, you know, this guy is all about having a photo shoot with you and using you and, you know, by all means, use him and use it like as a stepping mm. stone onto the world stage to ask for more weapons and greater support from the West. But just, mm -hmm. you know, play it safe. Zelensky. Absolutely. Um, I wonder what will happen with. So, like, do you remember at the beginning of Brexit, right, the whole idea with David Cameron announcing that we were going to have this referendum was... I mean, in his way, he was like, you know, we're going to put this question to bed for for a generation. <laughs> it's a bit to bed. Yeah. It's, it's gone. It's gone to sleep. And then it didn't go his way. And he was like, mm. well, OK, see you later. So off he goes. Um, and then there was this sort of feeling, well, look, we've had the referendum. OK, I didn't vote to leave. But as long as it's well planned and executed and it's done in a measured way, maybe over a decade to gently extricate ourselves from these institutions that we helped to architect, maybe there's a benefit to it or a long-term goal that I, it's just not occurred to me. And it's instead of that, it was, you know, chaotic and we were dragged out and people didn't want to scrutinize stuff. And, um, but again, there was this feeling that have we put it to bed now? Do we just accept that we are leaving and then that's it, it's over. But it feels like this attempt to end the Tory psychodrama mm. at every juncture 
it's been like, well, it's it's probably done now. It's probably over. No, I, I think it's over now. Is that the credits rolling? Okay, curtain down. Yeah, that bit that bit's over again. And at every fucking juncture, again, it's just like, oh shit, the ERG are flaring up, and Johnson's mm-hmm. over here, and now it's the moderates against the fucking headbangers again. Like, and it feels like again now this week, like it's almost like we're back in 2019 again. Yeah, I just we're never gonna they're never gonna we're basically living through endless like bitch fests of the Tory party. There's so many, you know, there are parties within parties now, and and a number a number of parties within parties now. And like you say, like someone said, um, there's probably no point in negotiating with the UK government at the moment because nothing they're not gonna be able to pass anything so mm. through through parliament and it's it's a valid point so Richie Sunak could come back with a what would feel like a sensible deal but he's gonna have to contest with ERG like you said and all the people that want to join the rebellion and also can you imagine if the only way he could get his bill through was by leaning on the support of Labour like the opposition mm. for example which Keir Starmer has offered to do in a bold move mm. um but where the hell does that leave? Like, where the hell does that leave him? I think he's going to be in a real pickle here. If he pulls this off, credit to him. Although mm. not that much credit, because I still think he's an absolute bell end, and he is also one of the people that voted for the withdrawal agreement that he's now having to fix. Mm. But I, I don't think this goes away until the Tories are out of power. I think they just—you've got too many people in there who are just egomaniacs, who are ideologues, who are thick as shit who are there desperate to hang on to a job no matter what and and uh, how can you this they're ungovernable mm. yeah it's a, there's a really important point that you've you've tapped into there where I, I guess the caricature of the conservatives uh for a lot of people is this sort of you know top hat kind of monocle bankery types you know jacob reese mogg looking motherfuckers and um and, and there is a lot of that, you know, that sort of Etonian high society stuff. But as you've alluded to, there are parties within the party. You have that sort of high society Etonian element, absolutely. Um, then you have these sort of this new school, this new class of like formerly red wall territories. Lee Anderson, Gullis. Lee Anderson, like Gullis, yeah. Ben Bradley, Scott Benton. Uh, I always sort of refer to them as like... Uh, Wrongans? Uh, Wrongans is good. Uh, cunts. I've, no, wait. wait um, <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say like high risk, low rent. Like that's how I see them. It's mm. like these mm. were people who were shoehorned in to the uh, electoral process relatively last minute um, because the Tories never dreamed that they would win those seats. It's like, well, look, who's free to stand as a Tory MP? I think, would you, will you do it? Like, can you take six weeks off to campaign from your job? Oh, you can. Oh, wicked. Okay, well, we get you. It Like, mm. you know, slim pickings. And they got these people in. And then against the odds, you know, lo and behold, Boris Johnson's up there banging his Brexit drum and these constituencies flipped. And now we've got these, this, this weird sort of um, coterie of, as mm. I say, sort of like high risk, um, uh, un-PR trained, sometimes quite offensive types. Mm. Um, and then... I like, look, I'm all for yeah. diversity, by the way. I like the fact that we've got people from different backgrounds coming into Parliament. I think it's mm. a good thing, but it's it's still somehow groupthink because mm. even though they are from different, you know, um, social classes, if we're going to talk about that, 
it doesn't matter one jot if they all think the same. It's a bit like, you know, how they peddled a huge wind of diversity when we had Suda Bravman and mm. Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javid. And that to me isn't, that's not true diversity. I got a whole pile on on Twitter. Um, people calling me racist because of this. And, and I, I think this is, because that to me is tokenism. That's mm. not, um, because if you if you bring people into a role and they think exactly the same as the people that were there before that have dominated for years and years, i.e. the white man, right? White British man. Then it, it's not diversity. It's not a win for diversity. Mm. The idea is that they bring with them um, thinking from their diverse backgrounds that is different, that brings a, a, a different perspective that will actually look to also benefit the people that come from similar backgrounds as them like i like i would want to if i was going to parliament i'd like you know want to help state school kids or or kids of immigrants or what yeah. i can i can i want to do that because i i benefit from that but if you just close the door behind you or pull the ladder up like suella bravman who bloody studied in the eu mm. like i think she studied like eu law or so it was like her degree you know and then she did Erasmus. She did the Erasmus scheme, which has now been replaced by something called the Alan Turing scheme, and it's a pile of shit. <laughs> of course, of course, it is. Yeah. Um, but I, that's why I, I hate that. Don't yeah. give me, don't give me diversity. Like bloody isn't. It's it's a difficult thing for a white, uh, superficially middle class guy from the home counties to <laughs> to comment on. But yes, I I I always think it's not exclusive to to politics either like I, I used to work at a professional services firm years ago and they were big on diversity as you would expect for you know big uh, accountancy firms and um but it sort of started and stopped at rainbow pamphlets and having mm. like lgbtq day and uh, you know yay for this person over here and yay for that person and look we've hired a person in that comes from this ethnic background and there's like a few of us going like if the people of color that you're hiring in and i worked in hr there i was like if the people that you're hiring in that are from different backgrounds uh if they're all from actually like upper middle class like international school families like what what problem are you solving exactly mm, because you know yeah like you you're right this there is a form of tokenism to it because it's like yeah we've hired a black guy yes we've hired a south asian woman that's fucking wicked well cool okay what's the net take home of both of their family oh they're fucking millionaires and they went to private school well fucking great job excellent you sold uh, is it diversity. is it any surprise is it any surprise that we've got a government of people that don't give a fuck about um you know state schools for example don't give a fuck about people who are on on the breadline that are unemployed that are really struggling that mm. are, are never going to reach anywhere near dizzy heights have we got are we surprised no these people have never had to even integrate with them a, lo a load of them they don't yeah. even know how to but she said it doesn't know how to use a bloody debit card <laughs> he has to borrow an, a, a, a kia rio at the petrol station to try and pretend he's normal yeah. He has to talk about a, a McDonald's breakfast that he ordered. I can't remember what the item was, only for us to discover that they'd stopped selling it four years ago. He literally lies to pretend yeah. that he's normal. That he's one of us. Do you remember the, the Partridge-esque, it's not really an interview, but a little like meeting. He talked to two schoolboys and they oh, were talking about... Coke. Coke, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I like, uh, I like Coke. Sometimes I will, I'll have a diet Coke or a cherry Coke. I, I remember. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because he doesn't know. He don't. He does not know how to behave around normal people. No. Like just. 
but it's and, this not is, even like, and this is the problem it's not even like sort of just social interaction it's um the thing that fascinates me is like so it it, like even if you remove him from one-on-one -on -one, if you just look at the way that he interacts with institutions it mm. suggests that this is somebody who yeah who has absolutely no idea about the real world but also has no understanding of how the real world would view his interactions with things that don't exist in the real world and what i mean by that is the f like so state schools you and i will know this but maybe listeners don't that state schools in, t in terms of like real terms funding over the last like 12 years has just fucking tanked mm. and yet funding for private schools has gone up and up and up and this mm -hmm. is a stat that gets banded around on panel discussions and news analysis shows and, and so on people are very aware of this and people see the sizes of the classrooms that their kids go to increasing and they read the headlines about how schools are thinking of closing at like two or one o'clock on a friday because they can't afford their heating mm. bills or they don't have the facilities and, and so on so state school education is suffering and then he's so detached from this that he doesn't even understand the optics of like yeah that's bad i won't do anything to help there but what i will do is i'll personally donate 50 grand <laughs> to this private school it's like are you out of your fucking mind do you know how bad that looks rishi like well, i was trying to do a nice thing like what are you yeah. insane I do. I genuinely think they lack something. There's almost like you know they almost lack a piece of their DNA that yeah. makes them able to be like this. It's like a a lacking of compassion, like just human human connection, mm. you know. And well, I feel like there's so much of that in, and I see it the more and more. I this is all new to me, right? I've only started doing media appearances and stuff. I think just over a year. This is all, mm. you know, spiraled. But what I see when I when I meet these sort of right wingers or the, these 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 people in real life is that they genuinely don't care. They do not care. They go on TV. They give their they spout their nonsensical bullshit opinion. They rehash these right wing like headlines, mm. and then they go home and enjoy their day. They don't. They just don't care. And some of them, and this is a really cynical thing. Not going to name any names. Have basically said they just say it for a reaction yeah or they just they have to say the line that their paper needs them to say this it's is not what they believe yeah so i think like so i've heard this off of other people i alluded to it uh when i was talking to ian dale uh last week name drop clang and yeah cheeky name <laughs> drop big things marina big things people are noticing um but yeah i was like you know i've i've heard from people who have taken part in various discussions i think he thought i meant you but i didn't um i i've heard from people who have said yeah that when they talk to right-wingers in the green room afterwards after they've had a spicy debate about whether the nhs should be privatized or um you know whether we should send shamima began back or, or whatever mm. they then freely admit once the cameras are off and the boom mic has been moved away or whatever then they say oh, i don't really believe that shit and then mm -hmm. it's like, what? Mm -hmm. Like you were just yeah. shouting and banging. The and they're like, yeah, I just say, you know, I just, I just like making good TV. That's what I like doing. Yeah. And then you're right. Then it, they ties go in, it, it ties into that Fox News story, which is off the scale insane, where Fox News anchors like Tucker Carlson and Hannity, they know that what is being told to their viewers, they know there's actually text message correspondence showing they know this is horseshit. Yeah. And yet, they have to they have to 
tell their viewers what they want to hear. Otherwise, people will switch off. In fact, Tucker Carlson alluded to one of his messages where a reporter for GB News actually told the truth. And because it wasn't what the audience wanted to hear, Tucker Carlson was basically saying she needed to be fired because mm. the share price of Fox News was dropping. Like, what the hell? That yeah. is pure dystopia, that they are just feeding lies because it keeps their share price up. That's That, to me, is 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 insane. And the other thing about, so just to go back to the mm. chatting to people that have got opposing views to us, like, I don't mind having a disagreement with people, but, and I can still go for a drink with you if you think we should have really low taxes or whatever, right? That, that sort of, like, small C conservative fine. But what we've got now, and the people that still support the choice today and, like, you know, sending people to Rwanda and you know, basically vilifying the poor and stuff like that. Um, I I can't put it behind me. I can't just, that's not that's not a difference of opinion. That's a difference in values that are really serious. So I was on a show recently and had a really good chat with the person off air and actually, you know, quite friendly chat. Then we went on air, views were expressed. I realised I really thought their views were abhorrent. And after the show, they alluded to us going for, going out together. And how do I put that aid? Yeah. Nah, nah. I don't want, I don't want friends like that. I don't want friends that have got those views. It's not politics. It's not like that to me isn't politics. That's morality. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that story um, that was kicking around about three or four months ago about James O'Brien in, that was out Kettner's. in Soho. Kettner's. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. And then two guys, was it a Guido Fawkes guy or was, was it Guido? Richard Tice. Richard oh no, Tice. yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was. It was Tice and Majid Nawaz, right? Yeah. Um, and they bump into him and they were like, like this sort of situation that you're alluding to, like, you know, oh, you know, we're all friends in media, let's all go for a drink. And he's just like, get the fuck out of my face. Like Exactly. I know exactly how he feels because I can't park it. And then, you know, we have to have like photos sometimes on Jeremy Vine. And my body language, Gemma laughs at me, Gemma Forte, she's my podcast, as you mentioned, uh, partner. She laughs because they always put these photos out there and I can't get further away. My body language was... <laughs> because I don't, I don't want to be near you. That's really horrible. But again, we're not talking about taxes here. We're yeah. talking about people, their, their treatment of people. And that I don't struggle with. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's the dismissive, like... Um... It's almost like sort of callous as entertainment for them is how mm. it comes off. It's like, you know, if you're talking about a policy like Rwanda, that to me sounds really callous. That sounds like taking really desperate people who may actually have family here who could help them. And you're removing that opportunity and that safety from them, stuffing them on a plane with God knows who and flying them off to a place that they have no connection with where there might be a language barrier that already had human rights problems like only a few years ago. Like I'm I'm not pretending that Rwanda, I'm sure they've come along, you know, leaps and bounds in the last two years. And maybe it is an amazing place, but it, that to me seems ill thought through. I don't care whether it is though. This and... is the point, even if they were sending them to bloody Switzerland. The yeah. fact is you don't just you don't just deport people to a place that they don't want to go to. That's that's yeah. trafficking. Like you can't you can't do it. And and the thing that's sorry, just on this as well, is this whole thing with these culture wars and Rwanda and now migrants in hotels and the fact that we learn, not just from Lee Anderson who said the quite a bit out loud, that the Tory party and Rishi Sunak is going to run culture wars mm. to try and win the election, the next election. This to me really gets me again because, and it shows me that Rishi Sunak, though he looks all like, you know, chef from Ratatouille. The fact is he's, he's ba bad. He's, he's a bad apple because culture wars aren't just for fun. 
culture wars stoke hate and they have consequences. We saw the riots in uh, Nosley. We saw that, you know, the, the terrorist attack on the immigration um, uh, processing center in Dover. This isn't the last of it. We saw the, the killing of, I'm not saying this is down to, to Rishi Sunak, but culture wars, you know, the, the transgender girl, Brianna uh, Jay, I think her name is, we, we saw that, like, this is what happens when you stoke up hate mm. and you, you divide a country. And also what leader in their right mind aid wants a country like warring with itself and angry? Mm. Like it's, you don't like if I'm if I'm the head of this family, I would want everyone getting along. And I'm trying to I'm trying to pair. And it's a bit like Biden, his speech. I loved his speech. He said, I want to something I want to govern for all of you, not mm. just for the the, Dem the Democrats. I want to govern for all of you. And that is what a good leader would do. A shitty leader needs to stoke division to try and win. And I think that's abhorrent. For yeah. Them. Yeah. But it's it's also like um there's a shamelessness to it as well, isn't it? It's like, you know, they will stoke this stuff because it serves as a distraction because they know that the Express and the Telegraph will pick it up and then people on the morning news rounds will be like, oh, yeah, there's a riot up there and it was about this. And what do you think about asylum seekers? And then that becomes the story of the day rather than mm. COVID mismanagement or, you know, government corruption or... Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's callous, it's cowardly. And now that we know that that is the route that they're taking for the next general election, because, I mean, what the fuck else have they got? It's not like they can go, shit, we've been found out. We were going to do the culture war. Maybe now we'll focus on our successes instead. Like, there's fucking <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Where? Mm. Um, it's know. just saying they've got nothing going for them anymore. So the, the, the other person that defected from Tory party to Labour was, uh, I can't remember his name, actually, but he was another person he's like a, a business leader or something like that uh, and he probably came out and said that there is no, there's no economic policy now there's nothing there's nothing worth staying them for actually labor have got a more sound economic policy probably because they're talking about closer alignment with the eu which yeah. anyone can see is what this country needs desperately like i don't even care now it isn't even about rejoin i i appreciate that's probably not going to happen for some time right it's a it's a crying shame but just for the greater good, closer alignment and whatever, I mean, make Brexit work. Jesus Christ, it, it kills me every time I hear it a little bit, but I get it, get mm. why he's doing it. But just do that so we don't have all of this shit. We don't have no cherry tomatoes. What am I going to do with no cherry tomatoes? I know. I know. It's the story of the day. Um, <laughs> uh... I've, been, I've been waxing lyrical the last few days about like how how we have these culture war stories these sort of symbolism fueled uh tabloid tales that were just served up like yesterday it was shamima uh mm -hmm. now today it's tomatoes uh, last week it was whether god has a penis um it's like every fucking week there's another sort of symbolism over substance thing yes bollocks absolutely bollocks I, and it's also it just really dumbs down dialogue yeah really dumbs it down like we shouldn't be talking about this menial crap we should be talking about the stuff that really matters but it's like um people are drawn to sensationalism they're drawn yeah. to stuff that makes that provokes a reaction it's it's the reason why like jerry springer was a great show like not a great show but a compelling show right people want to be shocked and ah oh, the the sensible stuff the nitty-gritty the detail it's not sexy it's not appealing and I think, it, unfortunately, that's part of why people are so apathetic, because 
it takes time. You know, you can't just dip your toe into politics these days, can you? Or if, if like for me, I am every day falling down a rabbit hole. I swear to God, my husband is going to divorce me because he's like, hello, Marina, hello. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? What? Yeah. On my phone, reading, 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 like... And I think it's done like, like that on purpose. It's by design. Keep the people, keep people apathetic. Keep mm. people thinking they're all the same. Yeah, they're all as bad as each other. They won't vote because it's those people that don't go out and vote that could really shift the dial. Yeah. Well, I think that will probably. I'm I'm not really in the business of uh, like electoral uh, predictions, but I think probably that's what will clinch it for Labour so I know they've got a huge lead at the moment but a lot can happen once the Conservative like media machine starts kicking in and starts throwing out lies yeah. every two seconds yeah. of the campaign um, I mean we found out about this donkey sanctuary so what we're going to find out I mean what what is there what is left I'm yeah. like please Keir Starmer don't do anything freaking stupid don't yeah. go and visit a hooker don't have done anything when you were a teenager don't have smoked pot don't do anything please please yeah well this is the thing so I, I did a TikTok live uh last week and somebody was saying you know who, what, what's what's going to happen at the ge do you think it will be like because at the time it was the big 29 point lead had just come out and everyone was like you know labor majority and then the snp business happened tail end of last week um mm. and uh, and everyone was like well you know maybe labor could retake scotland this could really be mm. like blair all over again and and i was like the only thing that could sort of fuck this now for starmer because like the, the the Tories are sort of backed into a Brexity corner. Like we've we've touched on this, the factions within the Tory party. Um, the only thing that could really scupper it is if there were a slew of sleazy stories. Like if mm -hmm. Emily Thornberry was out, you know, having a threesome with someone, and Yvette Cooper's over here doing crystal meth, and then you know, and if it frightened those floating voters in the shires, mm -hmm. if they were like, look, you know. I'm not, you know, I thought the Tories were bad, but I'm not on board with all of this, you know, sleazy travel lodge fuckathons that they seem to be up to. You know, that could ruin it for them. See, they'd get credit for me if it was in a travel lodge. <laughs> I reckon travel lodge would be happy. They'd be like, finally, we've moved on from the fucking asylum seeker stuff. Like, um, I can't but... imagine Emily Thornbury partaking in such antics. She's your light heroine, isn't she? Yeah, she seems pretty cool to me. She seems, seems mm. like a good egg. Uh, now that I've yeah. had Ian Dale on, name drop again, I feel like because I get the feeling that he and Thornbury are quite chummy. So I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna make a play. I'm gonna try and get her on. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going on Ian Dale's cross questions soon. Actually, so that'd be nice. I was on with um and Jeremy Lyman. He's actually quite pleasant. Yeah, good. Um, I was gonna say something about uh. Thornbury, it's just, it's just gone. Oh, that was it. And Emily Thornbury, when she talks about Brexit, by the way, and making Brexit work, which is obviously the line that they all have to uh, say line. in public. Yeah. yeah, the party line. You, I, I think she doesn't even feel comfortable saying it. She mm. doesn't believe it. She doesn't believe it at all. And I've spoken to another person, another Labour. I hope I'm okay to say this, but Labour. I'm not going to say the name, but Labour MP. I spoke to um, at a party. And they basically said that, look, let's just get in mm. and then we'll deal with Brexit. So that's interesting because, right. So my other question I was going to ask you was about like, like when are things going to stop getting shitter, basically? Like, you know, how we've gone from like, you know, uh, Brexit, uh, the pandemic and then climate change is getting more serious and cost mm. of living crisis, housing crisis, like all of these things just keep getting what like life is just getting harder and harder. Um and I was going to oh, just of... quickly, just quickly. Mm. Can I stop that? While I was in Tesco, 
the formula that I buy for my kid, mm. my I've got a four month old baby, went from it used to be ten pounds fifty. Mm. It's now fourteen pounds twenty. Yeah. How the how the hell? So the, when I was ten pounds fifty with my two year old, so in two years, it's fourteen pounds twenty. Yeah. What the? But Jesus, is, it, is I, it like the pound is weaker now or because it costs more to logistics-y it in like over the border or I don't who know. Who knows? But how the hell? Like I do all right. My husband does all right. How the hell are other people affording this? Mm. Our, our nursery fees went up. Like energy, our energy. How the hell? And like people's mortgages are spiraling. Like I don't know where the, where this ends. Mm. And I just, how the hell? How the hell have we got here? Riots. I think I'm ready. I am ready. I feel like yeah. we just need someone to like mobilize us. Well, this is like I, I was saying to somebody earlier, like there's going to be a spark. There's going to be mm. a straw that broke the camel's back sort of situation where like at the moment it feels like the cost of living crisis is like, yeah, my electricity has tripled, but I can just about manage it if i cut back on this and it, it with food prices or formula prices it feels like oh that's got to be expensive but maybe i'll you know mm. fewer chocolates this week and maybe one less mm. coffee in the morning like it felt like something that you could just move money around to just sort of mm -hmm. manage and actually where we're going to be and i say we as in you know everyone but also specifically we me yeah uh yeah. in like nine weeks time shit's gonna get really real for a lot of people and it won't be long after that i don't think like when when people are being distracted and sort of obfuscated against uh to to make them not look at their energy bills with things like does god have a penis or you should be angry about mm. shamima that will work that will get them so far but when people start renewing their mortgages and they go up by 900 pounds and that's on top of a tripled energy bill or if it's their rent because their buy to let landlord is passing mm -hmm. on the increased mortgage to them and so then their rent goes up 900 pounds a month when people are faced with that kind of financially ruinous reality and they've got nothing left to lose and it's the choice of you know sitting there and letting the economy buttfuck you or jumping mm -hmm. in your car and going to whitehall and you know filling up a molotov cocktail i seriously <laughs> worry like i'm not advocating for that but i i know that people are stupid i know that people will be impulsive and angry and they've got a right to be angry and something like that will fucking kick off and every day the clock is ticking down to that happening mm, i think i think you could be right i mean bloody hell, if we were the french we'd have been out oh yeah ages ago. the Fr the french love it riot and i and um so the, i think the last riot was about the pension age going up wasn't it yeah the pension age going up to less than what it is here. They they have got plans. Tory government's got plans to do the same for us. And <laughs> people will just go, yeah. I guess I guess That's I could work annoying. a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, work till you're dead. In France, they struck, mm. struck, striked, whatever the word is, uh, over whether they were allowed to have like one alcoholic beverage on their lunch break, which I was like, That's <gasps> fucking amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um. <sighs> That's going back a few years. I think that was about 2010, 2009. Um, but yeah, we need more of that here. We need to be more like the French in probably every single attribute <laughs> of our lives. Uh, Marina, this has been lots of fun, man. We've been gassing away for a while, but um, I need mm. to love you and let you go. Um, thanks for, for joining me this evening. Uh, guys, if you're not checking out Marina and Gemma Forte's podcast, The Troll, you're missing out. Do go and find it. Seek it out 
on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, um, as advocated for by none other than Gary Lineker and James O'Brien this week. Um, so yeah, go check that out. Um, I'll be back next Wednesday for the solo show and next Friday with a guest who I have yet to book. So there you go. You're going to have to stay tuned to me or keep it locked to my Twitter to find out who on earth I'm going to go and book next. Um, thanks very much, guys. Until next time, stay safe. I'm Audi. Audi.